By the end of Friday, after a week in court, with constant interruptions and delays, the evidence is over. The jury has heard it all, reams and reams of it. As I record this now, here in the UK, the final verdict on the Lucy Letby case has just been pronounced. For listeners from abroad, of which I know there are many, Lucy Letby was a neonatal nurse of premature and vulnerable babies, who developed a predilection for murder. Look the case up, or wait a while until the films and documentaries that I'm sure are in the pipeline come out. She has just been sentenced to numerous whole-life tariffs for seven murders of newborn babies and several attempted murders. The reason why I'm mentioning it is that those jurors had to sit through a nine-month trial consisting largely of complex medical information about the babies, their prematurity, their state of health, the afflictions they suffered from, and what killed them. If I feel overwhelmed by the evidence of one week, and it's not even me who has to make any decisions, how on earth can anyone cope with three quarters of a year of it? But back to our case. During the course of the evidence, members of the jury have put various questions to the judge. You will remember the one that questioned why, if B was a virgin, there was no bleeding. Since then, there has been another question along the same lines. Someone, presumably focusing on Mr. Y's nonsensical insistence that vaginal penetration was minimal and only lasted seconds, has asked, Is B still a virgin? I find this frightening. This jury member seems not to have heard or understood Mr. Y admitting that, at the point of being arrested and told he was facing charges of oral and vaginal rape, did not raise any objections to the seconds of these. The ridiculous contortions he went through in the witness box trying to deny that the vaginal penetration really happened, were not mentioned in his prepared statement. At some point during the lead-up to the trial, Mr. Y has got it into his head that if he can wheedle his way out of this charge, the rest doesn't matter. And, terrifyingly, it seems that a member of the jury might have bought into this fantasy, also believing that, if B is still a virgin and her honour intact, what Mr. Y has done is not so bad after all. The judge wraps up proceedings by saying that, on Monday, the defence and the prosecution will make their closing statements, and she will give her directions. We file out of the court and go home to wait. To wait two long days and three long nights before we are back in this awful place again, to find out what conclusion the jury is going to come to. On the tube on the way home, I read a report in the Guardian newspaper, headlined, My Childhood Was Stolen, why is my adulthood being taken too? It's about the rape survivors currently waiting up to and over a thousand days for prosecutions to come to trial. If this was a crime primarily happening to men, not women, would this be the situation? Of course not. It is not until we are back in the house that Phil and I remember that it is our wedding anniversary. We don't celebrate. On Saturday, hundreds of women and girls, supporters of the Million Women Rise Collective, marched through London to urge an end to male violence and misogyny. The weekend is utter torture. I don't sleep, I can hardly eat. Like any mother whose child is hurt, I wish it were me. I wish it were me who had been raped by that terrible man. I would take any agony for my child. But it wasn't me, it was B, and I can never, ever put the clock back and make it all right again. And it never would have been me, because of course he wouldn't have followed me up the hill. He took advantage of B because she was young and drunk and vulnerable and alone, 
He saw something he wanted, and he took it. He didn't want a washed-up fifty-year-old like me. That wasn't his goal, not at all. B is frail and pale. We are all under strain. Only Colin and Tiggy remain oblivious, eating and sleeping, and occasionally mustering the energy to have a fight. Thank God we have them to alleviate some of our pain. I try to remember that it is all relative. We could be Ukrainian. The brutal, hideous war rages, with bombings of civilian targets and hundreds of thousands fleeing. Rape is a weapon of war once again. Commodity prices soar, nuclear weapons are being readied, and it's tempting to wonder why we're bothering with any of it, if we're all going to Armageddon sometime soon. On the bus to the court on Monday morning, I read a heartbreaking story of an 18-month-old killed by shrapnel. The picture of her mother and father, broken and destroyed, makes me sob and sob. What is going on? I have to try to remember that life is so, so much worse for so many others. I started the first week full of defiance and brash bravado, but when we arrived this second Monday morning, I realised that I can't go in. Partly this is because I cannot bear to hear the defence closing speech in which B will be slated and attacked, her name blackened, her word doubted. I just can't bear it. But the other reason is that Mr Y's parents have turned up. I can't sit in the public gallery with them. I just can't. I don't know what they're doing here as they don't speak English, but they have a young girl with them. I've no idea who she is. A friend? A cousin? But presumably her purpose is to translate for them. I can't go in, so I stay in the depressing canteen all day. The Chinese lanterns that hang from the ceiling, draped in cobwebs, sway in the breeze from the fierce air conditioning. I have to keep my coat on, it's so cold. There's something about this particular torment that makes me, an avowed Republican, read stories about the royals. Suddenly, the Queen's health, Kate's outfits, and Harry and Meghan's misdemeanours seem endlessly fascinating. In the end, there are so many delays in court that they don't even get to the defence closing speech. Phil says the prosecution barrister's summing up was very good. Caroline says nothing, which makes me doubt it. But overall, I'm just annoyed that I stayed outside. I should have been there to hear Sarah's words. On Tuesday, I don't go to court at all. I simply can't. Phil reports back that the defence barrister makes her closing speech, and then the judge gives her summing up. In amongst this, she tells the jury that they must disregard the video call that Mr Y claims he made to his cousin, and which he insists proves that B was very happy after the rape. The judge says that it has not been evidenced in court, and therefore cannot play any part in their deliberations. It seems to me that the jury must already have come to this conclusion, because surely, if it were true, and the cousin was assured of Mr Y's innocence, he would come and speak up for him, which he hasn't done. We know from the police that this cousin refused to have any part in the investigation or the case, but the thing is that the story of the call is out there, and will every member of the jury be willing and able to put it out of their heads? Finally, on Wednesday afternoon, the jury is sent to the jury room to make their decision. I am at home, sitting on the sofa, unable to move. I literally cannot move. A friend rings up and suggests we go for a run. But I can't. What if Phil phones me with the verdict when I'm in the middle of the park, and it's not guilty? I'd collapse, I wouldn't be able to get home. My sister comes over and sits beside me on the sofa. We don't talk. There's nothing to say. 
Nothing to do but wait. Phil reports back that the jury has asked to see again the CCTV of Mr. Y following B from the bus stop. Is this good news or bad? We wait some more. Finally, Friday afternoon, after 14 hours of deliberation, what can they have been talking about? The jury returns. I've seen enough courtroom dramas to know how it goes. The judge intones, On the count of rape, do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? I imagine the forewoman gathering her breath to speak as the world stops turning. Thank you.